Everybody ready for some word today? Let's go to Mark chapter 6. Mark the 6th chapter. I want to continue today with a series I've been teaching. And I think finished today. We'll start off with something new for Easter next week. Uh, The Lord directed me along these lines to teach from Mark chapter 6. The series title is Unbelief. The, the ultimate blessing blocker. And I'm confident that, that this has been helpful to those who have been a part of the first uh, four parts of this series. Um, the Lord is helping us to remove anything from our lives that would hinder the full flow of His desire, His will, His blessing, His healing, anything that He has promised from coming into our lives. And this example in Mark chapter 6 really lays it out there uh, of, of how these things work. Let's begin reading again in verse 1. Then He went out from there and came to His, to his own country, and His disciples followed Him. And when the Sabbath had come, He began to teach in the synagogue... And many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. Let me remind you again now, The Scripture did not say that Jesus would do no mighty work there. He didn't refuse to do it. It said He couldn't do it. They absolutely shut down the power of God from working in their lives because, again, they looked at Him naturally. They saw the carpenter. They didn't see the man of God. They didn't see the anointing, the call. And they became offended at Him. But they were able to stop God from working. Likewise, it is today. If there's ever an absence of, uh, of God's power flowing, of healings taking place, of answers to prayer, of other provisions and graces from God, if there's an absence of those, let us not be arrogant and, and, and think that this is somehow God withholding. God, have you fallen asleep? Where are you? You know, the absence of God working is not a lack of His desire, not a lack of His love, not a lack of His ability. But it is completely involved with and, and revolves around the hearts of those who are in the, in the building or in the city or in the, the country. In other words, what do we believe? There is something about faith that gets God's attention. That He will jump over a thousand people just to get to one who will believe Him. There is something very honorable about trusting God. And, and, and you know, we don't want to believe these lies that are often told that, that well, you never can tell what God's going to do. You just never know. And it's almost their prayer is almost like I wish upon a star. You know, their their prayers are just, you know, a last second, throw the basketball from the other side of the court and just hope it goes in and they threw up a prayer, you know, and, and that type of thing. No, God is faithful. We can count on Him. 
We can rely upon Him. He has promised us things that we can put in the bank. It's not maybe, it might be, and I hope it might happen. No, God said this. It absolutely will be this way. And there's a confidence that can exist in our relationship with God. And it is necessary to have that confidence to experience Him in His fullness. Say amen if you can. I tell you what, listen, a heart that is full of faith will be seen through activity. It will be noted through action. Uh, Just like a heart of unbelief will be shown in inactivity, it will be revealed in a lack of productivity. See, many times people in our day, Christians in our day, have become satisfied with the fact that I say that I'm a Christian, that's enough. I have labeled myself, I'm a believer in Jesus, I'm a follower of Christ, I am a Christian, so that is sufficient as long as I say that I am that. I would rather not have to try to convince people I'm a Christian. When I tell them I'm a Christian, they say, no, you're not. No, really. Really, I am. Trust me, I'm a Christian. They say, eh, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? I don't mean that we're, we're hesitant to say and to proclaim boldly who we trust and what our confidence is in, but there ought to be results. There ought to be indisputable evidence that flows out of our lives. That where we are, man, there's something about this. God is here. Good things happen. It's like, uh, it's like uh, goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. You know, wherever you go, there's a trail of God's blessing, of His hand, of His favor. People get helped. There's healings. There's answers to prayer. But if we're walking through our Christian life and saying, yes, I'm a Christian, but we have no, no, uh, no results, we don't have anything that surrounds our life, that follows our life, that where others could look on and say, man, there's something going on there. God is with that person. Then we've cut ourselves, we sold ourselves short of God's plan. And so anyway, again, when someone is, has a heart full of believing and they, they believe the promises, the words of God, there's going to be changes. People, many times we'll talk about different activities uh, and there'll be theory. They, they accept them mentally, but they don't practice them because in their heart they're truly not convinced that God's going to take care of them. I mean, why would I give if I thought this is just going to go away and I'm on my own? Well, I'm going to hold on to everything if I really believe that about God. I want to kind of do a, a review summary and then finish up with two really strong points here today. Unbelief comes and exists in people for various reasons. I've covered a number of these, but I haven't given, you to, given them to you in any kind of list. And so things we've said already that unbelief comes from focusing on the problem. I'm never going to live with a heart full of faith if all I do is stare at negative stuff. If all I do is focus on problems, I need to see the solution. I need to focus on the promise, not the problem. But if all I see is everything that's wrong and everything that's falling apart, my heart is going to be very uncertain, very unsure. I'll be full of unbelief. Another reason that people walk in unbelief is because of ignorance. Because of ignorance, they simply don't know. They don't know what God has said. They don't know about His power. They don't know about His love, about His grace that's available for everyone. That any of us can receive anything from God at any time. 
and the lack of knowledge or ignorance of God's promises, in ignorance of God's presence and power, is a sure route to having unbelief when you when you know when rubber meets the road and you're faced with a circumstance and it's time to pray, it's time to get a hold of God. You'll say, I don't know. I'm not sure. And if you act like you're sure, I'm kind of annoyed with you. I think you're arrogant. You know what I'm talking about? They didn't respond well to Jesus and he was confident. Okay, number three, number three, we said that unbelief comes from forgetting. It comes from forgetting. What what do I mean forgetting? Forgetting about what God has already done. Forgetting about the times when He already showed up in your life, pulled you through and pulled you up and took, pulled you out and gave you victory. Whether it's forgetting your own personal experience with God or things you've read in the Scripture or things from other people close to you in the midst of a, of a, of a battle, in the midst of a heated situation, very likely the unbelieving person will only remember bad stuff. They'll only remember things that didn't work, things that don't work. They will not remember what God has already done. Again, don't want to reiterate too far. Number four, we said unbelief comes from offense. From offense. We just read that they were offended at Jesus. They saw Him only according to the flesh. And they became offended towards Him. If you find yourself ever becoming offended, know that that's going to hinder your faith. That's going to be an obstacle between you and God, even if your offense is not at God, it's, you know, kind of at a person. It's ultimately going to be offense at God, okay? Uh, Number five and number six, this is kind of where we want to get into today, and these kind of go together, but unbelief comes from being mindful of the flesh and the world, being mindful of of the flesh and the world, and from not focusing on God and His grace. Alright? Mindful of the flesh and world, not focusing on God and His grace. Go over with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. You see, when we can, if we can get these, these things cleaned up in our heart, there'll be no hindrance from God doing all that He desires to do at any time. And these things, again, are not up to Him, but they're up to us. We can make a choice. We choose to to allow Him full access to our lives. 1 John chapter 2, notice with me verse 15, it reads, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that's some pretty strong statement right there, isn't it? First, don't love the world or anything in the world. And by the way, if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. And see, this is the, the situation we all have to deal with. And I think this is probably, like, very, very common. That many people want to have God in their life, kind of. They want to have the Lord in their life to a degree, but they do not want to give up the world or the things of the world. And according to Scripture, they are incompatible. I cannot have all of God in my life. And by the way, uh, that's good. Having all of God in your life is a good thing. No one who has ever done that has ever at the end of that said, 
wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I would have just kept at least half me. Or, you know, three quarters world. Things of this world. But, 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 but going at it from the other side. See, making that commitment, going all in with the Lord, is a no regret decision. But looking at it from the other side, a lot of times people just aren't sure they want to do that. Because there are things of this world they like. They have love for this world and the things of this world. And so what we try to do is have a little bit of God and have a little bit of the world. And we try to have a little co-mingling here. (laughs) Right? It's kind of like when I talked about having a little Coke and having a little Diet Coke together. You know, it's kind of like having, you know, having belief and unbelief at the same time. I'm going to have some God and I'm going to have some world. Have a little bit of God and have a little bit of world and we'll see how this thing's go. I'll try it out. Not going to work for you. You're not going to be successful. You're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to, to experience all that God intended for that relationship. It will be so watered down with the world, it will be like, eh. And other people will look at you and say, so you're a Christian, huh? You'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if I want to be one. Why? Because it's not really appealing to have both. And it is one of the great contributors to unbelief. And I'm going to show you that going forward as we continue here. But we've got to get settled that I'm not going to live for, love the world or the things in the world. I'm just going to love God, period. And I don't care about anything else. It can come. It can go. I can have it. I cannot have it. I'm just in love with God. Now, what that looks like might be very unknown to people. But I know this. I've never given a, an altar call at, at what we call it at the end of a service and invited people to receive the Lord and said, well, let's do this. If you want God in your life, all of God in your life, you're ready to commit yourself fully to Him, you know, lift your hand all the way up. If you'd rather just, you know, kind of test the waters, maybe do 30%, lift your hand part way, and, uh, and we'll let you kind of operate on a 30-70 for a while and see how you like it. And maybe sometime in the future you'll go all in. Why would I never encourage that? Because that doesn't work. Because that's not the way God designed this relationship where it could be a partial. Where you can just live in the world, love the world, have your mind and heart consumed with the things of the world. And then have a little bit of God in there. He's like whipped cream on top. You know, just a little bit of God in your life. No, He wants to fill your life with every good thing that He is. He is life and He is love and He is pleasure and He is, you know, everything that He is. Joy and victory. But you've got to go all in. See, only then the heart is influenced to such a degree that when we face a circumstance that is beyond our physical ability to to manipulate or, or change, we're full of Him, then believing Him, trusting Him is normal. It's natural. It's what I'm made of. As opposed to being consumed with the things of this world and then trying to add a little God in. Or at least when I need Him. Or at least when things are falling apart. Then we'll grab that 30% or 5% or whatever it is. 
the God factor and try to get this thing done. People have tried that before and they end up saying, it doesn't work. I don't know why God didn't do this. Well, it's not that God didn't do it. It's just that we filled our lives up with the world. And that's, what we're, that's what's real to us. And the things of God are, dif- are distant. Hallelujah. Look at look what it says here. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And this world is passing away. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Isn't that good? There's a permanency to this relationship with God. Now think about it. Those... Those things there that he mentions, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, you can see those things throughout Scripture. That's what defines temptation and how things come at us in this world. When Jesus was tempted in the, in the wilderness in uh, Luke 4, I think, is one, one of the places that, that Satan came and tempted him, you can see he tempted him in those very same three areas. As you study that out. So someone said, I don't know that Jesus was tempted just like we are. I mean, has Jesus ever been tempted to drive 120 down the freeway? You know, <laughs> not specifically, but in the three categories, the three areas, of course, he was tempted in all ways like we are, and he never failed. You go all the way back to Genesis, you see Adam and Eve were tempted in the very same way. They, they, they you know, they were tempted with um, with hunger, the, in other words, the lust of the flesh, when they saw the fruit, they were hungry. Uh, they were tempted with the lust of the eyes, how the tree was, was pleasant to the eyes. They were also tempted with the pride of life because it was a tree desired to make one wise. And, and so the enemy has been coming at people in the same three areas uh, throughout history. And likewise it is today. But when we settle and we get settled in our heart that we don't care about anything of this world. There's nothing of this world that's worth holding our time and attention. We'll use stuff, we'll exist here, we'll enjoy our lives, but we live for Him. We're going to love God. Then everything, it's a game changer as far as getting the power of God and the results that we desire out of life. Look at Matthew, Matthew 17. Okay, See, if our minds are full of this world, they won't be full of God. And then, then the result of that is believing God will be much more difficult. If I'm full of the world, my mind is full of the world, I'm in love with the world, and I'm going to try to believe God now, that's going to be hard. But if I've allowed my heart and mind and my life to be consumed with Him, what He says, this relationship, then trusting God to do amazing things... It's just normal. It's just how we live. It's just how we roll as Christians, right? It's just God and me. So who was that? Was that you or is that God? Well, yeah. Sometimes I can't tell the difference. Now, that would probably bug a couple people. <laughs> we're, not, we're not confused as to the power source here. But you and I have the potential to walk with God so close that we're just, it's just us. We know that He's God, but He's so close to us. And His power is so ever-present. He can become just as real to you as the person you're sitting next to. 
He can become just as real to you as the physical things, your clothes and your house and your car and, and God. He's just as real. Can be, should be that way for all of us. But denying the world gets you access to God. And that's what we're talking about doing. And this will affect your heart of belief, denying the things of this world. Okay? Now, Matthew 17, Matthew, uh, the 17th chapter. Well, before I say that, I want to get into that. But uh, here's what I think the exercise is. The exercise of our hearts is to recognize God in as many things as possible. Recognize Him moving. Recognize what He has provided. Recognize His what is of Him and not call everything chance or coincidence. I'm not talking about overly spiritualizing natural situations, but I am talking about if anything good exists in your life, I'm telling you, it exists because of God's grace. Anything. Because you remove the grace of God, you remove His presence completely from any one of our lives. You know what the, the equal is there? It equals hell. And no matter how bad someone might have it now, it's not that bad. Because there is an element in all of life, in every one of our existence, and we're all on varying, in varying degrees of this, there's an element of God's grace and His presence providing for you. It could have been worse. It could be much worse. And just the acknowledgement of that makes you say, Thank you, Lord. I didn't enjoy this, but this could have been a lot worse if I got what I deserved. Because we've all sinned and fell short of, uh, fallen short of His glory. But look for God in stuff. Come on, start training your mentality. Training your heart to see God. To see His grace. To see Him moving. In, in, in providing, even in very subtle ways. And as you do, you become conscious of Him, less conscious of the world, and then it becomes natural. When you need something, you draw upon Him. Someone else has a need, they want you to pray. Good, God's here, He's everywhere. I see Him all the time. Bam! Here He is, and things change. This is a heart of normalcy. Is that a word? For the believer. I don't really care if it is because I make up words anyway. Someone made up all the other words. Why can't I be a word maker upper? <laughs> all right, Matthew 17. Now, this is a pet, uh, place. We've read this a couple times in this series, and we've kind of just covered different parts of it, and I want to hit it again. Situation. Guy brought their, his son to Jesus' disciples who had the seizures and had the, the demon thing going on there. They couldn't get the demon out or they failed to get the demon out. They brought him to Jesus and uh, Jesus commanded that thing to come out and the boy became well. He became normal. He became right again, was set free. And they started asking Jesus about it and he was like, ah. You know, he constantly had that arg thing going on or as as Amy said in Italian, he said, Mamma mia. Uh, uh, just with his disciples and how often they were to, they should have been believing one thing and they were believing something else. They should have had results, but they weren't getting results. And Jesus wanted them to have results. And this is one of those situations. He's like, Sheesh, what a faithless generation. See, in our day, something doesn't work or someone doesn't get set free. We go, Hmm. What's God doing here? 
In his day, when Jesus was God in the flesh, and there's no confusion about this, something wasn't working, he goes, whatever. Stinking unbelief. But people don't want to hear that today. Oh, you're talking about my faith. Oh, something wrong with me. How can you say that? Just a thought. Huh? I mean, we can maintain our pride and our position and say, I'm altogether good in every way, and this is God, if we want, but that's just, uh, that's a cop-out, and it produces no results. It puts us in a, a weak position going forward where we have nothing to do with it, and God has everything to do with it, and I don't know what God's going to do anyway. Hallelujah. So Jesus said, in, in picking up here, Uh, Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Because of what? Your unbelief. It didn't work because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, that, that has thrown a kink in many people's belief system right there when Jesus throws in this prayer and fasting bit to, the, to, to his answer. Okay? Now, when he said that, he's not undoing the first answer. He's adding explanation to the first answer. He's not saying, this spirit didn't come out because of an absence of prayer and fasting. He said... You couldn't cast it out because of your stinking unbelief. But to resolve this issue so you can get this spirit out, here's what's absent in your life. Prayer and fasting. But that still causes confusion because Jesus walked up right after they couldn't get it done. And he said, come out. And spirit came out. And he did it. And like, Lord, uh, when did you pray and fast? You know, did, did he come back the next day and say, I'll be back uh, tomorrow. I've got to pray and fast and then we can cast this out. No, that wasn't the case. He did it right away. He was able to deal with the situation, but he explained their unbelief as being connected to prayer and fasting. Everybody with me on this? It is somehow tied to prayer and fasting. In other words, my life of faith, my heart of belief and or unbelief or combination thereof is connected to my relationship with God and what I do with my body. Now now watch. When we talk about, about prayer, what is that? Jesus said it's about prayer and fasting here. Now... That doesn't mean they needed to stop and pray, God, help us cast this spirit out. Jesus didn't do that. He never did that. He didn't pray for sick people in the sense of requesting that God would heal them like Christians do today. Jesus didn't do that. All right, He didn't pray about it. But prayer, in its essence, boil it all down, is basically having fellowship with God. It's talking with with the Lord. All right? It includes worship. It includes thanksgiving. It includes just, again, fellowship or communion with the Lord. It would uh, in, it also include requests, making requests or 
petition, supplication, intercession, different types of prayer. But basically, it's talking about having a relationship with God, having a fellowship, a communion with God. He said, this is necessary if you're going to be in a position to cast this spirit out. You've got to have a good prayer life. You've got to be in communion and connection with God continually. All right? And then the fasting side, uh, how many know what fasting is? <laughs> how many don't want to know what fasting is? Uh, well, we generally think fasting in a, in a specific sense is missing meals. You fast food. But really, on a, in a more broad sense, fasting is simply denying the flesh. It is denying the flesh the things that it craves, the things that it desires, right? And so what Jesus was telling the disciples, and this was connected to their, their unbelief, is their absence of fellowship with God, prayer to God, and their absence of denying their flesh what it craves and what it wants. Now, those things, why, are they affect, why do they affect someone's faith? Simply because faith is of the heart and it's not of the body. Or it's not of the flesh. Remember Jesus said in, in, in Mark chapter 11, if you'll believe and not doubt in your heart, but believe the things that you say to come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. In other words, the, the, the condition of faith is coming from the heart, whereas if someone is body-led body-motivated, flesh-dominated, their faith will have a real weak voice in life. Now, how many know you are not a body? We need to recognize this. This is a spiritual relationship with God. God doesn't directly have a relationship with my physical body or with or what we might even call just the flesh. He, he has a relationship with me. I am a spirit have a soul, I live in a body, I am a spirit. He has a relationship with me spiritually. All the things that I do, my prayer life, my worship, my serving, my commitment, my dedication, my faith in Him, these are all spiritual activities. They're not physical, they're not flesh activities. And so if I rarely use spiritual involvement, and I just live in love with the world, I just live a flesh life. Then when I, when I need to engage spiritually and I need access to spiritual power, it's going to seem unreal. It's going to seem distant. It's going to be unattainable. But if I would conduct myself in such a way where I'm always looking for God, I'm seeing His grace. I'm seeing His power. I'm hearing what He has to say to me. I'm in fellowship. I'm talking with Him. My body chirps up and says, Buffet! Buffet! I say, You're not making any decisions here. Amen. And I say, No! Pray! Pray! See, the thing about fasting, we can look at it in the just missing meals, but denying the flesh in various areas is, areas is essential to living a spiritual life. If you want to have a relationship with God where you recognize His voice, your faith is unhindered, you're not full of unbelief, you absolutely must, must deny your flesh at times things that it wants. 
Now, we all have to eat. We all have to sleep to some degree. But you know, your body, your physical part, it will tell you you need to eat a lot more than you do. You need to sleep a lot more than you do. You need to be entertained a lot more than you need. And it will constantly tell you. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm bored, I'm this. And if we're weak spiritually, we follow it around. Every time it yelps, we give it what it wants. Oh yeah, here you go, here you go, here you go. Do all this stuff. Whereas a spiritual, that was the disciples' problem, by the way. They had gotten fleshy. They had gotten lazy spiritually to where they weren't in fellowship with God enough. They weren't denying their flesh enough, the, denying the flesh or the things of this world enough. And they had gotten kind of kind of diluted there. And they came up against a situation where they needed to be all in and trust God completely, have faith only and no unbelief. And they weren't ready for the task. Right? So Jesus said, you guys need to take care of your business here. See, when did Jesus pray and fast? He did it continually. And if he got busy for a while, he would take time and get away with, with the Father and pray for periods of time. And he would deny himself. I know one man of God said years ago, he, would, he was a traveling minister. He, he always fasted. He said on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Every Tuesday and Thursday, he wouldn't eat. And, uh, and that was his decision. He was praying one day. He said the Lord told him, uh, the Lord told him, I'd rather you just live a fasted life as opposed to just missing meals like that. In other words, just he said, don't eat as much as you want. So he did that from then, from then on out, where he just didn't eat as much as he wanted. Why are we talking about that? It's on a barbecue day. <laughs> We're not going to ruin anyone's lunch here today. I'm talking, I'm talking about lifestyle here. It is called denying yourself. When is the last time you said no to your body? You said no to the flesh. When's the last time it yelped up and said, do this, I want this, I want this, do, feed me, entertain me, do this, yeah. and you said, no. <gasps> you know it spoke up again, right? So, what? I'm going to die if you don't give me this. <laughs> no, you're not. In fact, if you say it one more time, we're running around the block. <laughs> No, we're not. Twice. <laughs> and if it says, if you say it one more time, you know, three times. There is a little, listen, there's a little bit of value here to recognizing that you're not a body. To recognizing that, uh, and even treating your body as a separate identity almost. I know it's not. But it is just the house we live in. It's temporary. And your body can be your worst, your greatest hindrance to walking with God. Because if you are body-led, flesh-dominated, it makes all your decisions for you, that's not where faith comes from. That's not where authority comes from. That's not where this relationship with God comes from. And you'll find that people even in, in different religions around the world that are, that are very spiritual, they're not actually saved or anything like that, but they, they recognize spiritual stuff, they'll do things like fast. Because they, they, they recognize the spirit realm. As Christians, we know 
we're born again in spirit. Our, our spiritual lives have been changed. And we use spiritual power, God's grace, His anointing, to influence the physical and natural world. But if I'm so caught up with my flesh that every time it yelps, I jump to its response, then I'm a flesh-led person. I'm not a spirit-led Christian. I'm a body-led person. Amen. I know this isn't real exciting right now, but uh, we'll be done soon. <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, buffets are sin. I think they're nice sometimes. But I'm talking about as an overall lifestyle, we need to learn to, to, to get control. And, say, just say, and it's not just about discipline. It is that. But it's about being a spiritual person. And then the, the end result is, hey, we're ready to go. We're ready to, we're walking with God at all times. We're ready to deal with any circumstance in any situation. You know, in the, uh, I'll just finish up with these things, but, you know, in, in Proverbs, Proverbs 23 is one place, uh, the Bible actually likens a, what it calls a wine-bibber to a glutton. But they're the, they're the same thing. In, in other words, someone who excessively drinks to the one who excessively eats. And we, many times... I know it got real quiet, but many times in Christian circles, that's what we swap out. Someone gets saved, they used to, you know, be party mongers and everything, and they just get sloshed, and they get saved, so they lay that aside and uh, switch <laughs> to something else. And again, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not implying that if someone is at all overweight that they're not spiritual, don't love God, or don't have faith. I don't believe that's the case. There are, th that's a bigger discussion. However, all of us, no matter where we're at, what, what, what should we do? We should be spiritual. We should have our love for God and not commingle it with the love of this world. We need to look at our bodies and things that it's yelping at all the time. And there are certain times where we just say, you know what? No. You know, Daniel in the Old Testament, uh, in, in the book of Daniel, at one point he went on this fast, but it wasn't like a fast where he didn't eat, eat uh, anything. It was a fast where the Bible said he didn't eat any pleasant bread. You know, I think that's Hebrew for cookies and cream ice cream. Because <laughs> that's most definitely pleasant. <laughs> right? No, I, I'm just kidding. It was donuts. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, but, but what did he, he went on a fast and he didn't remove all food, wasn't that kind of fast. He just didn't eat things that he wanted to eat. He ate things that would sustain him, but it weren't, wasn't, they, they weren't his, his preference and so forth. So there's different ways that you, you and I can say no to our bodies at different times. But when we do, it's beneficial to our spiritual life. It will do us well. Not, I'm not eating, I'm going to watch TV instead. No, no, no. I would encourage... Deny yourself in some way in the flesh and spend time with the Lord. Spend time in, in His Word and in prayer or in, in, a, in a church service. You know, many people, there are probably folks that aren't here today, and the whole reason is they woke up and their body said, Nuh-uh, we are totally not going today. It's been a long week. I am tired and we are staying right here. We, I'm an American and I have this right to sleep in on Sunday. Well, you do. 
You can be as fleshly as you want. And many times, again, people, their decisions in life are made based upon what their flesh is saying. And, and because the spiritual voice it, it has gotten so weak. And doing that over a period of time, you run up against a situation that's a little more challenging, like they did, and they go up like normal. You know, like Samson when he got his eyes, uh, got his hair cut off. Uh, you know, he's going to shake himself like normal, and all of a sudden his strength was gone. And these disciples come to cast this spirit out like normal because they had been doing it, and nothing happened. And we face a challenge and we're going to pray or we're going to speak the word of the Lord and it comes out. <laughs> instead of bam, instead of power, instead of spiritual force, it comes out wimpy and weak. Pee Wee Herman kind of thing, you know, if you remember that thing. Uh, uh, and that's not the way I want my spiritual life to be. Amen. Stand up with me on your feet today. I trust these things have helped. We're going to do a little spiritual exercise right now. And it's one we do all the time. It's called worship. We're going to sing. We're going to connect to Him. This will do your spirit wonders. If your body says, ah, hungry now, hungry now. <laughs> Anybody's body? Ignore it. Say, shut up. I'll feed you later. If you stop talking. And uh, right now we want to press on into the presence of God and let Him talk to us. Amen.